Turn with me, if you would, to the 10th chapter of Hebrews. Last week we looked again into this chapter, or we looked firstly into this chapter at uh, holding fast in the Lord. Today I want to continue that thought and speak for a few minutes about being stayed on the Lord. Very similar, yet has a little more in-depth connotation to it. Being stayed on the Lord, Hebrews chapter 10. Want to read a couple of select verses. By way of preface, verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. How many know what the holiest is? By the blood of Jesus. That's the only way you can get in there. Can any robber climb in any other way? No usurper can slip in the corner under the, under the tent flap. If anybody had lifted up the back part of that tabernacle in the wilderness and stuck even their hand in it with a wither like it had been struck by a bolt of lightning, only Moses could enter in there, and he only by divine appointment. It's by the blood which was prefaced in that, in that tabernacle. Verse 20 says, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us. Again, way back there, before the earth was formed, God looked at this thing and talked with Jesus about it. And it was consecrated, had your name stamped upon it. It says, through the veil, that is to say his flesh that we've just commemorated. And that word consecrated there, it means like we're what we're going to do in the 1st of January. It means renewed or inaugurated. It's set in place. Uh, a formal beginning. That's what consecrated here means. It's a formal beginning and it is a setting in place. That's what they do on January when we inaugurate the president. He's already elected. We just formally set him in place. In the mind of God, you were set in place before the world was ever created. Before your mother and father ever met or before you ever became part of that family. Before you ever said yes to the Lord after you had that ability to do that, coming beyond the age of, of consent and age of reasoning, God already knew what you would do, but it did not stay or hinder one part your decision. The, the Spirit of God still had to plead with you, and He had to plead with me to come in. I look around me today and I see the world and, and I see the mission of the church having to plead with people. And yet the church is caught up in our pride and our ego and we don't want to talk to people because we may be, they may shun us or they may uh, be repelled by the, us or they may not receive our words. But it says here that we are already set in place, consecrated. We are inaugurated. That is to say through his flesh is what happened. And so we want to look at verse 25, and it says, In the middle of all this, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. And if anything means anything, it means that right now, this very moment, there are people sitting in their living rooms, and they're on the beaches, and they're on the lakes, and they're in their boats, and they're drinking, and they're partying. Christians. Christians doing these things. This is talking about Christians here who, he says, not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's talking about those who are already blood-bought, who've accepted Christ. 
and are yet doing mental gymnastics, some thinking that they have liberty. A member of my family, because of their early upbringing in Catholicism, thought that they had liberties with the, with the Word of God. They went through all types of, of situations where their life could have been snuffed out. And God brought them, wooing them through that, those situations. And then they died in a mishap. And I don't know where they are today. Only God knows. But if, but if our witness means anything, and if our testimony means anything, and I believe that it does, I think the Bible is true where it says, by their fruit you'll know them then that person who was part of my family is in hell today. Only God knows. Not forsaking the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And we see the day approaching. Only a Christian with their spiritual head in the sand thinks that we aren't coming into the finalized process of this thing that we call this age or this world. God is wrapping this thing up. And, his, and sin is getting worse, but praise God, the power of the Lord is also getting stronger for those who will not forsake the ascending of themselves together. And now I want to reach into verse 29 is our text. How of how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. Again, when we come together, church, when it talks about not forsaking the ascending of yourselves together, and we come together, we do not come together just so that we can gather in our finery in the sides of, inside of four walls. It's a spiritual coming together. It's a spiritual blending of your spirit and my spirit, of us working, interworking with one another, being a blend, if you will, before the Holy Spirit. It is a coming together of spirit, spirit to spirit. And we, when we come together, it's not in this edifice here. It is a spiritual coming together, and we are coming out of our individual places in the Lord. I believe to a degree right now, those who will do it can have part of that which Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I believe we can live much of that today. Sure, we don't have everything that's been purchased through the cross, but we're not going to have all of that on this side of the veil. On this side of the veil, we're going uh, to be operating in limitations of ourselves. Beyond the veil, we're going to be operating unlimited, but yet everything, our power always coming from the Lord. Our substance, our strength always will come from the Lord. From the time that we move into this thing called Christianity, we stop being powerful within ourselves. That what we have to learn to operate in is the fact that God has made this power available to flow through us. And on this side of the veil, we decide. We decide how much we're going to apply it into our life, how much we're going to live above the problems of the world, how much we're going to live in, in want or neglect. 
How much we're going to live in mental confusion and mental doubt and worry and, and, and cast down. Why is your soul cast down? The psalmist asked. But in that time, we won't even have to give it a thought. Right now, you have to do warfare with your, with your mind and your soul. And not only that, but with the world also. But as soon as we get on the other side of the veil, either by the rapture or by moving through that thing that we call death, which for the church is really a misnomer, we're not going to die. Once we step on that side, then the knowledge of the Lord will fill all the earth as the waters cover the sea. The moment you pass through, either by the rapture or through the veil of death, so to speak, you're going you're to have the understanding there will never be any more doubt. Doubt will never be a factor. Won't will never be a factor anymore. We can only equate in part to some of these things. So having those things in mind, verse 22 that we looked at last week says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance not by what I can reason out, but it goes on to say by faith. That's how we get there in this life. It's by faith. That's how we take the provisions that's in the Bible. That's how we reach into this thing and decide how much we're going to move in full assurance by how much of this we will believe and how much of this by faith we can put into practical application. How much we can experience, how much we can gain experientially. I'm telling you, head knowledge is wonderful. But if it never gets to be an experiential truth in our lives, we have missed the whole concept of it. We ought to take what's in here and make it work in our everyday pragmatic life. If there's healing there, we can have it. If there's prosperity there, we can have it. If there's peace of mind and deliverance there, we can have it. If there's growth in God and understanding of the deep things of the Lord, we can have those things. As we'll just draw near in that situation with full assurance by faith, we can do that. And our focus all of the time that we're doing this must never be on the provision, but it all must be always on the one who, is, who, who stands behind it as the underwriter of the provision, the personage of Jesus Christ. Always has to be the central focus of everything that we do. If we want the gifts to flow, we have to look to Christ. If I have a need in my life, I must look to Christ as the one who supplies. If I want to accomplish something in my life by a movement of my will, I have to look to him as the one who allows me and edifies me, quickens me, enables me, thoroughly furnishes me to accomplish that. Our focus must be upon him. And we can only edify ourselves through Christ. We can only be edified through Christ. I think we've learned. I know your hearts. I know who's here today. If we had 500 people, I would have to probably elaborate on this truth a little bit but I know your heart today and I know that you realize that the things of the world will never satisfy they never satisfy a Christian and the most miserable people I have ever seen in my life 
were not those who just got saved and stayed there, but they were the people who got saved, got baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, with the flowing of the gifts, being able to reach into that holy of holies and have God work with them and work for them, and then for them to fall away and try to find any pleasure outside of that. They're the most miserable people I have ever experienced in my life. That's why I think those who are ultimately satisfied in life, the total satisfaction, those who can find a measure of rest in this life are those who have gone through not only salvation but the power experience of God. I think that was why it was given. Why it was given to the church. So as we edify ourselves, the Bible says, edify one another with the edification wherewith you were edified. It uses a little bit different word, but that's what it's saying. What it's saying to me, Jesus said, physician, heal thyself. As I'm being healed, then I have the right to minister to you. As I'm standing on the promises of God and knowing in whom I have believed that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, then I can give you the hope and then I can give you the assurance. Then I can testify and I can agree with you of how great and what God will do in your life as you reach in also into his precepts. He will do for you what I have seen him do for me. I can give you a testimony of that personal testimony of it. I can edify you. I can encourage you as it says as so much more as you see that day approaching. So much the more as you see that day approaching. So when we come together all of these things should be taking place. You say I I don't recall having edified anybody in the church. You don't have to say anything to anybody to edify them. It's spirit to spirit. Words do play a part. Direct touching and communication do have their place and they're, they're invalid in their, for those who would say that they're not. They have a distinct place. We need to be touching. We need to be experiencing, communicating. But there are those times when we can minister to somebody just by their countenance. Believe that? I have people minister to me at times and they don't say anything. A lot of times when, when I stand to preach or when I stand to teach, sometimes if, if I'm worrying about some things in the flesh, there'll be what God will give me one person. And if you, those of you who are teachers and those of you who are preached, you'll know that this is true. God will give you a person that you can key on and, and you'll look into their eyes and you, and, and there's a, there's a, there's that way of light flowing between those two spirits and they are encouraging, they're edifying, they're lifting you up and you feel that transfer of spiritual strength out of that person and I'm a little bit selfish at times like that because I know that when I draw into them I'm taking spiritual depth out of them but that's why God put it into them. That's the way this thing works. We are to edify one another. You are to edify me and I you and we one another when we come together. And you don't necessarily have to do that to touch somebody. Spirit to spirit, we can minister. But it's not only that. There is a touching and there is a coming together. But we've got to come together. We've got to come together. That's why it says not forsaking the ascending of you gather yourselves together. Together what? We need an example of togetherness. 
I, I like to have examples in my mind of how the word works. I, di- I didn't know how divine healing worked until, until I heard the teaching and it enlarged the scripture. But when I saw it work, I had an example. And when it worked in me, I had an example. If we want to understand coming together, I think we need an example. And I think if we look back into the book of Acts, we can see what happens when we come together. It says that they were all in one accord. There was a mixture there. It only gives certain delineations of the people who were present. It talks about the men and the women, but I believe there were kids there. I'm not about to leave my kids any place where I can take them. I'm going to take them with me. I believe that they were there. I don't think they were with a babysitter someplace. I don't think they were with a nanny someplace. I think this family was there as a family unit. I think they were all there. They continued there. This divine mixture that God had willed and that they had moved out on. And then in Acts 2, we see that when they came in this situation, that the power and the signs began to manifest themselves. The power and the signs. And then we see in Acts 2 again that there was fellowship and there was gladness of heart and there was singleness of purpose. And it was a family singleness. We can be in singleness of purpose and come together in relationships. But when my family comes together, we have a closeness and we have a gladness and we have a singleness that I really can't experience with you in the natural You see, we can talk without talking. Husbands and wives, after you've lived together long enough, you know that you can talk without talking. A glance sometimes that keys off of a word. Peggy and I experienced some sometime. It had to do with an elbow, of, of just rubbing elbows. And I don't remember how it sat about, but it always invokes a humorous strain between us. And when we see the right kind of scenario set up and two people rub elbows, we can look at one another and smile. And I know this what's going on in her mind and she knows what's going on in my mind. And we have that transfer. And we're talking about the, the, some of the natural things, but I'm really ta- I don't want you to lose the sight that we're talking about spiritual things. With the church, it is always spiritual. It's never flesh. It's never at the soulish level only. It always begins in the spirit and manifests itself in the spirit. In the, in the area of coming together in Acts 4, we see that when they were coming together, the word together, that God manifests himself. God can't hold back when his church is in session. He won't stay in some elsewhere area in his demonstration and where he goes, he takes his liberty. It says that place was shaken. It was shaken with the power of the Lord. And if you go on down in the follow of this, you'll see that out of all of this coming together and the shaking and the manifestness and the, and the family experience that God did calling out of people. God's not going to send out worldly people. I don't think God even sends out soulishly tainted people. And by that I mean I think God sends out anointed people. A lot of people who aren't anointed go. 
And a lot of them go saying, I've got this and I've got that. So I'm going underneath this covering. I'm underneath this covering. This is my calling. This is not my calling. But I, I don't think they're of God. I don't think they last too long in that situation. We can get by on personality for a while, but there comes a time when, like the guy said, the rubber has to meet the road. And you and I and, and the one who's going out, our lives has to line up with the Word. And if we stay together pretty long, long enough to know one another, we'll know where our deficiencies are. We'll know where our callings are made sure in. We'll know where the gifts manifest. We'll know how we're set in the body of Christ. And we can pray for one another when we fall short. And we can rejoice in one another. We can thank God for one another when we come together. And people do get sent out by the Holy Ghost. It's said in, in Acts 15 that the Holy Ghost called out Paul and Barnabas. Man didn't call those men out. And if you look into their lives, you'll see that as God called them out, he had to do some transitionary work within the early body, that, that fledgling body of Christ. Because if you read it early on, it will say, Barnabas and Paul did this. And Barnabas and Paul did that. And Barnabas and Paul were found here. But a, a few chapters out on, then you see God turning around and getting his will in there. And then it starts to say Paul and Barnabas. And you start seeing where the real anointing was and where the real helper was in that particular ministry. And it wasn't that one was greater than the other or, or better than the other. God loved one better than the other. He had a divine order that he sent out people when his people came together and they went under the anointing and they went together. You see, I believe, I'm going to give you a passage of scripture. I don't want you to turn to it necessarily. But just remember it. Make a note of it. I think, I think this passage of Scripture is the most applied passage of prophetic Scripture in the world today by the Holy Ghost. I think this is the one that the Holy Ghost uses in a prophetic way more than any other passage in our contemporary world today. It's 2 Corinthians 6.17 and you'll recognize it because it says, Come out from among them and be separate. I think everything else that God does is predicated on, the, on these few little simple words. Come out from them and be separate. It's going to get involved in your mental processes. It'll get involved in how much of the Word of God is operating in you. It'll get involved in your family, in your community, in your everyday life, in your moment by moment, in your personal relationship with God, in your ministry, in your attitude, in your subjection of self. Come out from them and be separate. That's just nothing pure and simple except just cutting away the flesh so that what is left what can be spiritual. It is nothing but pure and simple that in the last days God is going to shake that which can be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. I don't like to be shaken in the natural. And if you do, I'll pray for you. There's something wrong with a person who, who likes to be shaken in the natural. We have an aversion to it because shaking hurts. <laughs> it hurts. Even the born-again, tongue-talking, spirit-filled person, when God shakes you, because he's shaking away the things that I'd like to, I feel I'd like to keep. Those things that I would like to have attached to me. Those supplemental things that have no spirituality. 
or a part of spirituality and the rest of it is flesh. You see, God will at times cut away some good with all the bad. There are times when good ministries will go down the tube just because they fail to stay with God. Just as a surgeon, when he's cutting, if he's going to make sure he gets all of that cancer, which is an abnormal growth, he'll cut away a little bit more than he should. Just to make sure he got it all. He got the roots of the thing. God, I'd like to keep that. I like it there. It's comfortable there. No, I'm shaking that. I'm shaking that. You see, much of the church today, when it comes together, it feels that they are there to minister unto God. We want to come together and bombard heaven. Many people are sitting in church right now, and the only thing that's happening is a lot of Lord I wants are going up. Lord, give me this. Do this. I'm asking you for this. Bless this. Give me some word. And say, Lord, don't give me the wrong kind of word. Don't give, give me that word that, it just, that just gives me always the things that sound good. Always the things that tingle my, my intellect and, and, and just tickle my soulish part of me. Don't give me that stuff that's your, that's your spiritual surgeon's knife. Don't give me those things that will cause me to be shaken. Most of them are just there ministering to God. Ministering to the Holy Spirit. A lot of times they, they want only the speaker to get involved with God for them. I'll pray, you preach. Tell me what we want to know. Let the one in the Sunday school tell me what I, how I want to think. And they're doing it. I heard a man on TV this morning wearing a turned around collar said that Mary didn't sin. He said it just like that. Mary didn't sin. She was caught bodily up into heaven. That she's the co-redemptress of the universe. She's equal with Christ. You can pray to Mary in now and in the hour of our need. Isn't that true, David? That's what they teach, right? And that is totally against the Word of God. Totally against the Word of God. And the people sat there with their little mouths open like birds in the nest, saying, feed me. Lord, pray, help me. Let the minister pray for me. Let, let my prayers go up to you. Only sending prayers up to God. A great part of the New Testament church is for body ministry. When we come together, it's for body ministry, ministering one to the other. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, to excel to the edifying, not of flesh, but the church. When we come together as spiritual conver uh, conversing and, and gathering, it's so that we can edify one another. Everything ought to blend into edification. The singing or to complement the ministry. The pews, what happens in the pews or to complement the pulpit and the word ministry. The gifts that flow should be body-wide if they flow at all. 
which they don't in most of them. Excel to the edifying of the church. Come out from them and be separate. That's the Holy Ghost saying those things. And we, we saw it early on when God started putting together His, his Word and, and His plan. That prophetic nature of that Word is personified in Adam and Eve. They had to come out and be separate. It was personified in the story of Abraham. God had to get that man out of there. He had to get him out. He had to become separate. When he was bringing out Israel, he had to get Israel out of where they were so that they could be separate. He had to get Israel and the 70 which had grew in Egypt. He had to get them out of there. And it wasn't pleasant out there in the desert. But they wouldn't have had to have stayed there very long. I don't know who figured it up and I don't know what calculations they have, but I know it's not very far from Goshen into the promised land, into Palestine. Somebody has said they could have gotten there with all of those six plus millions of people in only like 11 days. They could have made it with all those people in 11 days. I know it didn't have taken long, but it took them 40 years. It's taken the church 2,000 years now. If the, if the first century church had believed God and moved on, I think we could have been in the middle of all this thing. But God knew that didn't slip up on him. He knew about today. He knew about the contemporary problems of today. And Pentecost, what we've been reading about, when they were separated in an upper room and the Pentecostal experience depth who had not been in the upper room. The difference between the 380 and the 120 was the fact that the 120 came together. And there was a division between them and the other 380 when they came out of that upper room. You see, that which is fleshly cannot coexist with that which is spiritual. We who are Pentecostal have a limited coexistence with those who just have gone through the experience of, of salvation and praise God for it. But we have an encouragement to them to come on, come on, come out of them. And I think God's doing that. I think God is reaching in to every established denomination, every cult group where, where men and flesh is propagated, and He's drawing us, drawing people out. I think He's drawing people out Come out of them and be separate. God's called us into a separateness, not an isolationist. Get that? God didn't call us out to be isolationist. He called us out to be separatist. Vast difference. I can walk among the multitudes of the world, be right in the middle of thousands of people, and yet be separate. Can walk into the pit of hell with the anointing of God and yet be separate. It's what we see happening in the church today. God is drawing them out. God didn't make 42 different denominations. He didn't make hundreds of different religious groups. Everyone seeking their own little mountain climb to the top. And their way is okay. You can get there. Just go on over there and climb that way. I'll climb this way. We'll all get to the top together. The Bible doesn't teach it. 
Bible doesn't teach it. Jesus simplistically said, I'm the shepherd. You're going to have to come in at the door where I am. He says, I am the way. One way, indicating one way in the original. Only one way, not multitudes of ways to get to the mountaintop. There's only one church. There's not many churches. Only one church. There's only one ministry of the Holy Spirit that is manifest in, in varied ways. It's as diverse as the individual. It is as diverse as the need. It's as diverse as the group that he's working with. And his sole purpose is to call them out. To call them out. Why? He wants, to, he wants the individual person to come out. I'm glad I didn't stay where I was. <laughs> I'm glad I moved through this, the, the, the door that was blocking me that the Holy Spirit, when I knocked, He opened, as He'll always do. And He drew me out and He's still drawing me. He's still drawing you. He prepared the church and is preparing the church to be brought out. A progressive and also a future prophetic statement. What's He preparing the church for? What, what are we in all of this shaking, all of this drawing out for, if we're all free to do our own thing, which we're not? What's all this about? Acts 14 says it's to teach us to be able to accept the concept of elders or leaders. That's one of the things the church has got to understand. God wants us to understand spiritual leadership and not be offended by it. To be able to know those who labor among us. To know spiritual I don't want to use the word setting above, but who labors in different callings, some a little more visible than the others. It's clearly taught. God, God anoints certain people to do certain things, and in those certain things, it, it of necessity takes on a little, little more visibility than other things. But the, the flesh of the people want to take those people and, and set them up on some pedestal and say, our pastor. Our evangelist, yours, yours looks pretty good. Look how shiny our evangelist is. Look how, look how shiny the top of our ministry is. Preparing us to accept true eldership, true leadership, true supplementing for others who can assist us and guide us as God guides them. And yet at the same time, I, I think the Holy Spirit would have me say this, it's not wrong for, for us to desire to follow people. The incumbent thing is to who, those who much is given, much is required. Paul said, you follow me only as I follow Christ. When I stop following Christ, boys, you better not listen to me. Ladies, you better not listen to me. And yet I know a lot of little dear hearts are following somebody because they got a Pentecostal pompadour. <laughs> Some of you might not even know what a Pentecostal pompadour is. <laughs> Hair you couldn't get in a number three washtub. You know, we don't always have to wear a three-piece suit to minister. We don't always have to smell real good to minister. But in the nostril of God, we must be a sweet-smelling saint always to minister to the body of Christ. 
So that's what he's talking about, the ministry of the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is a, according to 1 Corinthians 4, it is to be a universal ministry. And this is a literal rendering, I do believe. I think we started seeing this in the 17th and especially the 18th century here in the United States and actually across the world a little bit before that. I think it is a literal rendering. I think churches have to be minister or, or missionary oriented. I think we've got to be oriented to getting the world literally to the world. I'm glad I'm part of a college and a ministry that believes in equipping people and sending them out. Hallelujah. Those that God opens up a ministry for around us in this ministry here in the college, praise God. We'll keep them. But most of them we're equipping so that they can go on out there and get it done. I think we've got to send people literally into all the world. I don't think God ever designed for the ministry of His Word to be done over TV only. It is a wonderful supplement. Radio is wonderful supplement, but it does nothing to, to really take the place of that person who is willing to go. And I think that's one of the things when he says, come out of them. He wants to send us out as individuals, literally. And he has got to teach us, Ephesians 1 says, that Christ can be head of the church. And Lord, if there's anything that's trampled underfoot today, I think that one is in most ministries today. And it's a sad accusation against the church is that most ministries, Christ is not the head. That's hard saying, isn't it? That's a hard saying. When we find one like that, we got to come out. I don't care how much they, how much they love us, how, many they, how much they hug on our necks, how much in the natural we'd like to stay there. Coming out is painful. Shaking is painful. Coming together sometimes can be painful. But oh, the edification of it. The edification of it. When we let Christ be the head of the church, all these things we've been talking about happens. Ephesians 3 talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this coming out process. He says unto principalities and powers in heavenly places. That's the, that's the second heaven area mainly. Might be known by the individual ministry. No, it says by the church. The manifold wisdom of God. The powers of darkness must see and are beginning to see ministries and peoples in the body of Christ that are working here, working there, yet one ministry where all of these things were incorporated in that. The, the being brought out, the accepting of the elders, the universal liberality of sending out missionaries and, and the word to be where Christ is the head of it. And all of it is coming into place, being brought out separate so that the forces of darkness can understand who's really in control in this world. Few places are, is the church, the local church, and that local faction, I guess should, I should say, of the body of Christ, extension of the body of Christ, few places do the spirits around them really know who's in control. I was watching something on TV the other day. Uh, no, it wasn't. I, I'm sorry. It was Sean. She was sharing. She works in that medical facility. And she was sharing about a 16-year-old girl. And you probably, those of the medical field, I'm sure you've seen it. She talked about how this girl was doing all kind of weird things and breaking things and pulling phones out of the wall right there in the clinic throwing the stuff out into the hall, and then she had the presence of mind to say, well, you know, talking to her mother, you know I haven't, I do these things because I haven't taken my medicine. 
and my spirit rose up in me. And the doctors were trying to console her with, with comforting words. And they were going to put a straight jacket on her. And I thought, my God, all she needs is just somebody who knows the word to deliver. All she needs is a parent who has enough understanding that Satan hasn't gotten blinded and kept blinded that they can take that poor, sweet soul, that young, tender heart, get it to somebody who can say, come out of her loose and let her go. Get her delivered through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we cannot do that unless somebody is willing to go. When we're willing to go, the Holy Ghost will put us into all kinds of situations. How many of you know that when you, when you make a purpose in your life to step out, you, you found yourself in all kinds of things. Some of them you felt you, you had experienced enough to where you could deal with it, always through the power of the Lord, and some you had never met before. And you say, God, if you don't help me in this, we're sunk. And He always came through. He on, the only, only limiting factor is our flesh. When we, when we stop believing... God has to stop working. But these spirits today, they have to understand that we know we're in control. We look around here and we see, we see X amount of people. But I'm telling you, if you could look into the spirit today, this place is filled with the multitudes of beings. And it's a beehive of activity. There's a general warfare going and there's angels ascending and descending what Joseph saw on that, or Jacob saw on that ladder. What he saw in the vision, we have experientially today. And they've got to know that we know that we're in control. And that word was, was written prophetically by the Holy Ghost. Unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, not by God. They know it when Jesus stands up and speaks. They just want to test you when you stand up and speak. You got to come to the place that when you stand up and speak, those forces of darkness, principalities and power, that whole order of dominion of demonic fallen forces have to know that you're serious about what you're talking to and you're fully willing to stand in there until the answer comes. You're willing to hang in there, if you will. Come out of them and be separate. You see, what it's talking about here is a homogeneous body coming out and being separate. That's a beautiful word. What it's talking about really is just one body coming out and being separate. That's what God's doing. He's bringing one body of us out. He's just having to wait for some of the little more lagging parts at times. Some, some have brought out and God is, is pruning those to strengthen those while He brings some of the others through some of the more elementary truths while the others are operating in the cardinal truths. And by the, the uh, definition of faith as they move, but He's bringing out a homogeneous body. What does that mean? It means the same structure, one body, one body, the same in quality. I'm not better than you, but praise God, I'm just as good. <laughs> Hallelujah. I can stand up next to any dynamic ministry in the world. And I don't care if they got 20,000 or 100,000 people that they meeting. And you say, how many did you have last week? And I tell them, I can take just as much pride in what we do. And when we've got a 50 or 100,000 at our meetings, we best not become puffed up. We best know that it's He who edifies us, who is doing the work, the same in quality, homogeneous. We are uniform. What does that mean? Ladies, you got to wear a mustache so you look just like I do. 
<laughs> no. It means that we to look like Christ. We are to look like Christ. Uniform before Him. And it also means having all terms of the same dimension. We ought to be speaking what the Word says. Not what my mind says. You see, my mind, the Word is always deeper than my mind. The Word is always deeper. No matter how much I learn or experience or come to know, the Word of God will always have something deeper there that I can take any amount of intellect that I have and cause it to produce even greater things. We said in the teaching not long ago, I believe that God can use an, uh, an intelligent person more than He can use an ignorant person. And I think that's true. I think that's why it says... 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show yourself approved to work who can rightly divide the Word. I think we need to do that. Head knowledge won't get it done. Just words off of a page, even if it's the Bible, will not get it done unless that person is incapable of understanding. Then it will produce. Then it will produce. And we can speak those things in there as are, are not as though they were. And we can change having the same dimensions we ought to be speaking the same kind of thing. Praise God. God can. I can't do it, but I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Hallelujah. But there's one thing we have to guard against. We have to guard against apostasy. We have to guard against it in our life. We have to guard against it in the church. And it simply means that the abandoning of what one has believed in It, you know, and I, of course, I, I fight the same battle. I have to guard against that, same, same as everybody else. But the object is to grow in God. But I think the, the book of Hebrews later on would say that it's almost impossible to get those people back who have tasted the good things of God and then walked away from them. And I know a lot of people who play word games where that says, well, that's not really what that means. I think it's exactly what it means. That once a person has walked closely with God and turns away back into the things of the world, it's hard to get them back again. They might have gotten wounded by somebody. They might have, their, their spirituality might have overrun their depth of understanding. And those kinds of things can happen. Our, our zeal in the Lord sometimes can overrun our wisdom. And people can become wounded and drift away. And when that happens, the church needs to be understanding about this thing. So we have to keep a guard against this apostasy. Keep our faith true. You see, the word apostasy really isn't found in the Bible. But the intent of it is all through the Bible. It's all through there. Verse 29 in this that we just read. Who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. Counted it an unholy thing. How sad it is for those who have laid hands on people and seen God heal them and seen demons, have seen demons come out at their, at their command and their word and then lost faith and lost hope by whatever the myriad of things that causes them to do that and drifted away from God and stop experiencing that joy and that elation that is flowing with the Holy Spirit. And they've deserted their covenant 
protection and they've trodden that underneath the foot can i tell you we rise or fall we live or die we gain or lose we are up increased or depleted by how we stand on our covenant rights with the, with the lord a lot of people are in heaven today that are there because before god really wanted them there because they lost sight of their covenant rights they lost sight of those. They didn't come out and be separate. But praise God, the opposite to apostasy is religious zeal when it's kept under control. It's one of the most exciting things in the world. I don't think God ever created a bland Christian. Those who know me know I like to put a lot of pepper on my food. <laughs> Uh, Barbara probably gets mad at me sometime because she probably thinks I docked up her food. Peggy, Peggy does. She says everything I eat tastes the same. I believe we ought to have some pepper in us as Christians. I don't think we ought to taste bland. Man, how, how many would like to just eat old oatmeal for the rest of your life? Not me. I want to eat all that good stuff. Vegetarianism is a slap in the nostrils of God. <laughs> I believe he gave us all things in this dispensation to be enjoyed within reason. Within reason. Religious zeal. The psalmist said, the zeal of the house is just eating me up. You ever feel like you get eaten up when you come to church? Lord, I feel like it. I love to just come to church and just get eaten up in the spirit. I love it when it's under control and yet it's wild and free. And we see that, that heavenly shaking and we see that manifestation. The zeal of the house has eaten me up. You can't wait to get to church. I love to be part of a ministry where people just enjoy, can't, can't wait for the doors to open just to get to church. Get that fellowship. Zeal. We know that when we come together, that we just, uh, when we start worshiping and praising, that we just rise to a new plane every time in the heavens as we float up on those praises of the Lord. You know, we sound better than us in the ears of God when, when ten of us are singing or a hundred of us are singing, or a thousand of us are singing in the Spirit than we do when we're just singing by ourselves. Now, we sound good to God when we're singing, but some of us have better voices than others, in the natural and in the spiritual. Some people just know how to person and praise a little more deeply than others because they've gained a certain amount of knowledge. I personally love to hear an old saint of God pray. I'm talking about old and Lord, but, but sometimes you blend the two. I like to see a, I hear an old saint in God. They, 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 they speak with that... It's just like they're talking to a loved one. And yet they have all that awe of the Lord that's in there. And we, when we blend it together in that heavenly chorus as we praise the Lord, we, we raise to a new high in the heavenlies. And then after we praise, praise God in corporate worship, we can remain in, in an awe that is in, undefinable in this world when God takes us into awesome worship before Him. And as a unit, we go into worship for the Lord and all the Lord.
we remain awed and the zeal of God when we come together. There's a hunger for the Word of God. You know there are churches who don't really want that much Word spoken to them? There are imbalanced churches. Maybe you've never thought about this. There can be an imbalanced church and there can be a wonderful group of people. Some churches just love to praise and dance all the time. They'll do it for two or three hours and then say they'll have a quick prayer and go home and they feel like they've had church. Others never feel like they've had church unless they're crying all over the sanctuary. You figure if somebody hadn't made them cry, they haven't had church. <laughs> but I will... I, I didn't know what God would want me to share this, but I think the most, one of the most beautiful sights I ever saw from the pulpit as I was ministering. I was ministering one day and the sun was shining somewhat as it is across that window and, and the reflection was like across the altars. We had a couple of altars across here. And all the altar was one single tear about that big. And God, that thing... It bore down into my spirit and burned into my spirit and etched itself into me, and I will never forget that. If I can ever find the right kind of artist, I may have him paint that for me, a picture like that. It was so beautiful in, in its simplicity, but yet it, I, I could preach 40, 11 dozen sermons on it, Dr. Farentino. One little tear on the altar. With the church, you don't see the church cry anymore. Sure, a lot of men will dance around with their hands and, and shout and, and dance in the Spirit. That's wonderful. But there's times when the church needs to weep. There's times when the Word will get down into our heart and make us weep. You know, sometimes edification is pain. A pastor who only tells you what always tickles your fancy doesn't, doesn't love you. I'm sorry. Sometimes they'll say things because the Holy Ghost will quicken a heart. And it's not the pastor. If he's moving in the anointing, he, he just says something and move on, you think, he's, he's preaching right at me or she's preaching right at me. They know that and they're, and they're looking at me and they're sharing that thing and I told them in confidence. And it, it probably never even entered their mind. It's just the Spirit of God wanting to cut off some of that thing that didn't look like Jesus. And in the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost is just ministering person to person. Delight and a hunger for the Word. And they, they just want, when we come together, we want to see the gifts operate. Some people can't wait to see it. You see, an unbalanced church, some love to praise. And others like to worship. And some wants the gifts to flow. And some want just the Word. Just give us Word, don't mess it. We, we don't want all that stuff about praise and worship. One of the saddest things I ever saw was a church was in deep worship and the leadership of the church was standing there with their arms folded and I could, I could almost, well, I don't want to read their minds, but what, it, what came to me was, let's hurry up and get this out of the way so I can preach and let's go and get on to the preaching and go home. And I thought, my Lord, my Lord, no, a balanced church is one that loves fellowship and it loves worship and it loves praise and it must see the gifts flowing. It's got to have the Word and it's got to see the demonstration of God. It is a balanced church. 
Balanced church. And when we find one, we ought to guard it like a pearl of great price. Because there are not that many. And I pray that this tape will get into somebody's hands that God is calling them out. And that one phrase there may minister. To, I feel the Spirit urge me when I said that. Delight in all of these things that we've talking about. There is a giving and there is a receiving of the talents one to the other as well as receiving those things of the Holy Spirit when we come together. And I'm starting to close now. Hebrews 10.32 would tell us, call to remembrance the former days. Call to remembrance the former days. God does not want us to look back and remember the days when we were living in defeat. That's not what it's talking about. Remembering those days when everything was, was down and I was out and I had no hope and there was no promise. There was nothing alive within me. That's not what he wants us to recall back when we didn't know how to get out of his word what was in there for me for that particular situation. How I was unable to take the word of God and make it produce, cause it to produce in my life a quality that was not there before. He says, I want you to recall, when he talks about this, call to remembrance the former days. He wants us to be, he wants us to be talking about the times of victory. The victorious times. The times when, when God, as he did with, with Adam and Abraham and Israel and the church, when God delivered us. That's how we can take the past and build on the future. What God did back there, praise God, He's on the hook to do it now because if His Word tells me that He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, I can have hope in that. If He delivered me one time, how many of you have God delivered at least one time? You got Him on the hook. You got Him on the hook. But you know He doesn't mind that. God doesn't mind it. He encourages that. The times when you didn't feel like you had any hope. And all of a sudden, that little flicker of hope, a little candle of hope, God just breathed on that thing. The embers of it caught and flickered. And then the fire burned and the faith came, the deliverance came and the answer came. And you, and you had in your hand what before seemingly wasn't there. Why? Because God was in there drawing you out. The times... Remember these things, he said. Put me in remembrance of the former days of how your faith produced what you needed. Have you ever used faith to produce something that you wanted? Isn't it exciting? I love to use the faith of God to produce in my life. Walked away from a lot of things that, I, that I've produced through my own abilities in this life. And I'm trying day by day to walk more into things that God is producing by faith in my life. Sure, He's using people, and, I, and I'm, I'm grateful, and I appreciate I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for that, and I appreciate God using me in certain areas. But it's the faith of God that produces. And He produces more as we stand upon that. Call to remembrance those times in your individual life when you were just going through your everyday. You might have been driving in your car. You might have been doing your house chores. The men may have been working in the garage. 
cutting the yard, and it was just you and God. And all of a sudden, it was a day like any other day. And as you prayed and as you communed with God and as you had that fellowship, the glory of God fell upon you. Remember those times? You were just going along like any other time. And all of a sudden, the glory of God fell on you, squashed you. 